You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, Well, shit. Just as the bulwarks Tim Miller predicted when I had him on to talk about Florida's Don't Say Gay bill, which is now Florida's Don't Say Gay law, that shit is spreading. NPR reported over the weekend that Don't Say Gay bills have been proposed now in more than a dozen states. The American right wing, the religious right, is currently, well, the mainstream right really, trying to reframe being out as gay to kids. To your students, if you're a teacher, to your own kids, if you're a parent, to your neighbor's kids, if you're a person who lives in an apartment or a house or anywhere other than a gated compound, being out to kids is grooming. The poisonous reasoning here, the argument that's going to get queer people killed, goes like this. Knowing gay people exist, someone telling a kid they're in a same-sex relationship, means telling that kid all about gay sex. And there's only one reason you would tell a kid about gay sex. It's a lie, of course. Of course it's a lie, and they know they're lying. But let's take the lie at face value for a second, because this may be the quickest way to show that straight people, particularly straight parents, know this is a lie. Basically, it comes down to something all married straight parents kind of already know about their own little kids. They know their young kids, know their parents, their straight parents, have a special relationship. Kids know mom and dad are, hopefully, fond of each other in a unique way. Long before kids know what sex is, they know what romantic love is. If not from the example of their own parents, then from the examples they see on television or in books or all around them, assuming they don't live in a gated compound. And then the day inevitably comes when mom and dad, at some point long after their kid has become consciously aware of romantic love, the day comes when mom and dad have to explain what sex is, where babies come from. They have to explain to their kids where kids come from. So knowing romantic love exists does not mean a kid knows anything about sex or even that sex exists. Mom and dad being out, out about being straight, out about being in love with an opposite sex partner, out about being married, that doesn't tell a kid anything they eventually need to know about heterosexual sex. The assertion being made now, the lie being promoted now, is that this works differently somehow with same-sex couples. A young child can't know two men are in love or two women are married without knowing something, without knowing everything, about gay sex and how gay sex works. And yet that same kid can know his mom and dad are in love without magically knowing exactly what mom's Bartholin's glands are doing for her. Bartholin's glands secrete a mucus that lubricates the vagina when a woman is sexually aroused. Surprised you didn't know that, considering that you know that men and women sometimes fall in love with each other. Anyway, Bartholin's glands are to vaginas what those bottles of lube on the nightstands of gay men are to buttholes. All right, so what are we going to do? We're going to fight. We're going to fight these don't say gay laws just as we're going to fight laws passed in three states, Texas, Arkansas, and Alabama, that make it a felony to provide appropriate health care to trans kids. A law recently made it out of the Idaho House of Representatives 
that would ban not just health care for trans kids in that state, but throw any adult who assisted a trans kid in getting the care they needed out of state, including that trans kid's own parents, into prison for life. We're going to fight that. And the fight makes the news and the news filters down to the kids. And then the kids know that they are not alone. Forgive me. I'm going to go to Harvey Milk now. His famous speech about hope opened with this. Somewhere in Des Moines or San Antonio, there's a young gay person who all of a sudden realizes that she or he is gay, knows that if the parents find out, they'll be tossed out of the house. The classmates would taunt the child. And the Anita Bryans and John Briggs are doing their bit on TV. And that child had several options. Staying in a closet, suicide. And then one day that child might open a paper and it says homosexual elected in San Francisco. And there are two new options. The option is to go to California. There's lots of talk about how to fight these laws. We're going to fight them in the courts because, of course, we are. But we should also demand, in some instances, strict enforcement of these laws. Let's take a look at the text of the proposed Don't Say Gay or Trans law in Louisiana. No teacher, school employee, or other presenter shall cover the topics of sexual orientation or gender identity in any classroom discussion or instruction in kindergarten through grade eight. No teacher, school employee, or other presenter shall discuss his own sexual orientation or gender identity with students in kindergarten through grade 12. The Louisiana law, Louisiana's don't say gay law or trans, don't say trans either. The law technically doesn't single out gay people or trans people. It says no one can discuss their sexual orientation or gender identity. A gay male teacher mentioning his husband against the law. He's discussing his sexual orientation. A straight female teacher mentioning her husband also against the law. A teacher who discusses their gender just acknowledges being a man or being a woman. They're talking about their gender identity and breaking the law. Using strictly gender neutral language, which is something that drives right wingers crazier than gender neutral bathrooms. Yeah. If this law passes, it's the only way to stay on the right side of this law. Teachers can only refer to spouses, not husbands or wives. Teachers can only refer to themselves and other people as persons, not men or women. You know, the law could say homosexuals can't do this, homosexuals can't do that, transgender people can't do this, transgender people can't do that. The intent of the law here is clearly discriminatory, but the language of the law can't be. The language of the law has to be neutral. It has to apply equally to all to survive judicial scrutiny. And so the laws are written the way the laws are written. And parents who want to protect their queer kids and kids with queer parents who don't want them erased and straight parents with straight kids who see the injustice here, we can help blow these laws up by demanding that they be obeyed to the letter. The right's goal here is to redefine being gay or lesbian or bi or trans and coming out about it as grooming. This is the same old shit in a brand new bag. They called it recruiting in 1978. That's what Anita Bryant campaigned on almost 50 years ago when she was campaigning in California for the Briggs Initiative, which would have banned gays and lesbians from teaching to protect kids from being recruited by their teachers. Gay people can't have children of their own, Anita Bryan argued, so we have to recruit yours. 
Harvey Milk rose to prominence fighting and defeating Bryant and the Briggs Initiative. These right-wing pieces of shit, these motherfuckers, these assholes, they want to live in a world where they can pretend gay people don't exist and trans people don't exist. They're not going to live in that world again. But right now, they're creating a world where it's harder for us to exist, just like they've already created a world where it's harder for black people to vote and harder for women to get abortions. And if they're successful, and they won't be, but let's play let's pretend, if they successfully force us all back into the closet again, you know what they'll do next? They'll complain about secret homosexual cells that must be rooted out like they did in the 1950s and trans people passing for cis and fooling straight people. I'm afraid it's going to get worse before it gets better. And it only gets better, forgive me for invoking that phrase, it only gets better when we fight. We fought Anita Bryant and we won. We fought Jerry Falwell and the moral majority and won. We fought AIDS and indifference and won. We fought bans on gay marriage and won. We win when we fight. This grooming shit, these laws, we're going to fight them. And we're going to win. Because we always do. All right, coming up on today's show on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's. And on the magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast, comedian John Marco Ceresi joins me. We talk about dating when you're famous and dick pics and what to do about them. Also on the show, you're going to hear about a couple of guys who need to get dumped ASAP. We got a couple of good DTMFAs on the show today. Also for my Magnum subs, we will be dropping a new Sex and Politics on Thursday. Sex and Politics is a new extra segment exclusively for Magnum subscribers to the Savage Lovecast. You can become a Magnum subscriber yourself by going to savage.love. I interviewed Alex Halperin, journalist and publisher of Weed Week, about marijuana legalization, how it enjoys rare bipartisan support in this country, and when we're going to see legal weed in all 50 states. Hi, Dan. I had a question uh, regarding fetishes. I wanted to know, do fetishes typically need to be reciprocal in a partnership? I am somebody who had experience with a guy who had a foot fetish and I loved it. I loved how he would treat my feet. I loved how he just would interact with my feet when we were intimate. I loved it. I myself am not a big foot person. I don't, he just don't do it for me in that way, the way that it did for my partner. And I was wondering in order for a partnership to be successful, with someone who does have a fetish, does that same fetish need to be reciprocated? Well, it's always wonderful when two people who share a kink find each other. It's not always the case that two people who share a kink are emotionally compatible, want the same things out of life, and can form a kind of lasting, intimate, romantic partnership. It's often the case that someone discovers all those things, including a lot of sexual overlap, a lot of mutual sexual interests, with someone who doesn't share their kink, which is where GGG comes in, being good, giving, and game for anything within reason. You indulging your former partner's foot fetish, certainly a reasonable thing for him to ask of you and a reasonable thing for you to do. And your own experience proves that it is possible for two people to be in a relationship where one person has a kink and the other person is willing to go there and may enjoy going there. You say you really enjoyed how he treated your feet, even though feet aren't your thing and you may not have, after this relationship ended, sought out another foot fetishist as a partner, you enjoyed this. You were able to go there. His kink was something that you could 
do and not an unreasonable ask on his part for him to lavish affection and saliva on that particular part of your body that most men might not want to lavish attention and saliva on. Where it's important for kinks to be shared, you know, I think reciprocation comes in where, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Hopefully you had sexual interest that he was willing uh, and able to indulge and he was as GGG in the relationship as you were your former partner, where it's really important for there to be a kink match. Kink concurrence are with those things I call a fetish too far. Something that it isn't reasonable to expect someone to do who isn't into that thing in the same way that you are. Really hardcore intense bondage, particularly if you are you know, interested in being the person who ties someone up. Expecting someone to endure intense bondage when that does not turn them on, unreasonable. Shit, piss. There's all sorts of examples I could give here. You know, ADBL, all sorts of examples where it may be too much to expect someone to indulge you because it's physically or emotionally taxing in oh, such a way that somebody, yeah, who's not turned on by it isn't going to be interested in it. Or, you know, that line between disgust and arousal is blurry, but there are some things that for almost all people fall squarely on the disgust side of that line where there's no gray and expecting someone you know, if you're into shit, to be into shit with you because they love you, that's an unreasonable expectation. And so thank God for the internet. People with really extreme kinks are able to find each other now and they can find in the pile of other people out there with those, you know, extreme kinks who share their kinks, someone that maybe they are emotionally and romantically compatible with who wants the same things out of life and they can find a partner whose kinks are their kinks that they can fall in love with. But, you know, most people have, if they have kinks, have kind of mild kinks, and most people don't use the internet to scour the earth to find someone who is their exact match sexually in all ways. And so in every relationship, there's some give and take and there's some negotiating. You know, I just got a question at Savage Love at the column that I'm running down an answer for from a guy whose partner told him that he was into bondage and the guy when he heard that thought okay that's the end of the relationship because I'm not they've been married for 10 years and the kind of bondage his partner was interested in being tied up himself um, not a lot of role play no role play was something that the letter writer said he could do and has come to enjoy so your experience with the foot fetishist an example that kinks don't have to be shared for a relationship between a kinkster and a non-kinkster to work out. The letter that is literally open on my computer right now from the guy who's married to the guy who told him that he was into bondage and that guy thought it was the end of the relationship, obviously they made it work out too. So you can make these things work out. But yeah, you're into shit, you're into where someone to drink your piss, you're into really hardcore extreme you know, painful bondage, those sorts of things. Yeah, you're going to want to use the internet to find somebody who's uh, reciprocates. And by reciprocates in this context, we mean someone who shares your kinks. I recently thought my boyfriend was something happened. Maybe he cheated on me because one, he washed his own sheets, which I've never seen him do. And then also I saw handprints on his bathroom mirror. 
When I asked him about it, he, as quickly as he could, windexed the handprints off and said I was crazy. A week later, I met with him in person, and he admitted it. And his response was, monogamy is not natural. Men need variety. It's in their DNA. And that he didn't want to break up. He just wanted me to understand that and that it was a one-time thing with this person. Like I said, he was not going to see her again. I don't know how I'm expected to forget about that, but I wanted to know your opinion on monogamy. My opinion on monogamy. Welcome, new listener. My opinion on monogamy is well known. I think monogamy is wonderful. I don't think we are, and the science certainly indicates that we aren't. We're not a naturally monogamous species. That said, uh, a monogamous commitment is something that we are capable of, and a monogamous relationship is the relationship that the, the style of relationship, the relationship model that most people want. Now, a lot of people want it because they've been told it's what they should want and told that's what all good people do want. And as a consequence of that kind of socialization, you have a lot of people entering into monogamous commitments, making monogamous commitments, who aren't capable of keeping them, who don't really want them, and then fail at it over and over and over again. And a lot of those people walk around feeling like they're terrible people. They have failed at monogamy. What I realized many years ago when I was that person who was cheating a lot was not that I was failing at monogamy, but the monogamy was failing me. And if I had a non-monogamous relationship, perhaps I would succeed at that instead of failing at making monogamous commitments that I couldn't keep. Your boyfriend is, I think, should be your ex-boyfriend. It should be your ex-boyfriend soon. But yeah, to your boyfriend's point, it's not just men that need variety. Women need variety too. A lot of women experience a drop-off in sexual attraction and desire in a committed sexually exclusive relationship faster than males in those sexually exclusive relationships do. Variety, risk, new experiences, just as crucial for female sexual desire and response as if not more crucial than for males. So your boyfriend's attitudes, like this is something men need and women have to put up with and you're going to have to, I guess, just shut up and endure. No one really believes that anymore. And the science, the study of sexual desire in men and women, males and females and everyone in between doesn't support that argument anymore. That was an argument that a lot of men made and an argument that 30 years ago I blithely repeated when it was a conventional wisdom when men were had more power when a man could cheat on his wife or girlfriend with impunity because you know economically it was more perilous for a woman to leave her husband than for the husband to leave the wife and one of the things we've seen as women have become more economically equal at least in the west is the cheating gap closed used to be in long-term committed relationships roughly 60ish percent of men may cheat at some point 40% of women and now it's 50-50 so it wasn't that women were cheating at a lesser rate than men because women were less interested in sex or variety. Women were cheating at a lesser rate than men because to cheat, to get caught, to get left, to get divorced was riskier for the woman economically than it was for the man. And also, having to factor into it, the fear of male sexual violence, male jealousy that women still have to 
take into consideration when they're making their own choices in a committed relationship about whether they're going to violate that commitment and risk the wrath of a male partner who may be jealous and controlling and angry and violent and to a degree that a woman who faced the same you know, infidelity on the part of her partner may not have that same kind of reaction. All of that, let's set all of that aside. You know, where do, what do I feel about monogamy? I think it's awesome and that people should do it. I think, you know, and you're a new listener, so I'm going to say this. A lot of my longtime listeners have heard me say this a million times. Monogamy is the only thing that humans attempt where perfection is the only measure of success. If you're with somebody for 50, 60 years and they cheated on you once or twice and you find out about it, they were terrible at monogamy and they never really loved you. And that's just bullshit. If you're with somebody for 50, 60 years and they only cheated on you once or twice, they were pretty good at monogamy, not perfect at it, but pretty good at it. And me encouraging people to be more forgiving about an infidelity uh, in the context of a long, long multi-decade term relationship isn't me trying to undermine monogamous commitments. It's me trying to save monogamous commitments. Because I think where there's been an affair, where there's been uh, infidelity in the context of a long-term relationship, that doesn't necessarily mean the person doesn't love you. And I don't think that's something we should put into people's heads, pound into people's heads, uh, that they can't get past. That's unforgivable. We tell people that infidelity is unforgivable and is always the end of the relationship. It will end a lot of relationships that probably shouldn't end. In this case, though, your boyfriend lying to you, gaslighting you, saying really deeply sexist shit to you, rolling out rationalizations for future uh, cheating incidents where he's going to have somebody over and they're going to leave greasy handprints on the mirrors in the bathroom and He's going to conspicuously wash his sheets, which he never does for himself. Also a reason to dump a guy. Never washes his sheets for himself. That's your job as his girlfriend. Fuck that. Dump that guy. Yeah, you don't want to be with this guy. Go find a guy that you can be with who can make a monogamous commitment. And then the two of you should be realistic about what that means. A monogamous commitment and being in love with someone doesn't mean that you aren't going to want to fuck other people. What it means is that you're not going to fuck other people. Hi, Dan. Gay guy living in the Pacific Northwest, originally from England. Been married for eight years. My husband and I broke up about eight months ago. There was a number of different reasons, and it was it was it was a nice breakup. We're the best of friends. We really deeply love each other. Um, there was no arguments. He just was fed up of the rain in the Northwest and moved to the California coast. Got a better job down there and all the all, all different kinds of stuff. You know, life's nuanced. There's no one thing. I miss him like crazy. We still love each other. We we text every day. It's it's really silly. <laughs> He's living with someone new. I'm dating someone new. I'm trying to move on from this relationship, from this marriage. But I'm living in the house. I bought the house, but we lived in it together, me and my husband, for eight years. Even though it's been like almost eight and a half months now since he moved out. I still, you know, the house is, is full of memories. The house is a, is a museum of our relationship. And I keep trying to push through to keep the house and not sell it or try and get some, you know, go somewhere else or whatever. Or, or I, I just don't know what to do. Should I sell this house? Can I move on from this? 
am I just grieving and I shouldn't do anything drastic while I'm in such a, an emotional mess still? I just feel like it's like he died. I still see him in the house doing the laundry and stuff like that, and it just hurts. Every day I come in, it just hurts. Do I give it a, more time? Because, you know, <laughs> who wants to... He wants to sell the house. I love the house. It's really nice and quiet living in. I don't know what to do. Any advice would be lovely. Why on earth did you guys get a divorce? Oh, we're not divorced yet. Was that the question? Why did we? No, 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 no. It, like, he moved away. He moved to California because he couldn't take the rain. And and you miss him and you're sad. And you're, it sounded like you broke up. Did you not break up? Or are you just oh, living apart? Yeah, we... No, we... we <sighs> hmm. No, we broke up. It's it, it's really strange. We have we have a relationship where we're we're so close and we love each other so dearly. Then when things weren't working out earlier on, like a few years back, you know, the sex kind of went off the boil a little, mm-hmm. but we continued with a you know a what, what do you call it when you have two people living together a companionate relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But just love so deep, it didn't matter, and everything was great. And then the pandemic, and then the rain, and the winter here in the Northwest, and we were having an open relationship, and he was kind of trying to see someone else that didn't work out, and was mm-hmm. he was coming and bringing that home, and I was trying to help him through that. And oh it's God. complex. You know, these things are kind of... <laughs> Right. Let's write a novel, huh? You know, over time, you know, when you see the, I just saw a picture of a couple that's been married for 70 years and I looked at them and thought, they're not fucking. Like, yeah. if you're together, two people are together long enough, eventually every relationship is a companionate one. And to find somebody that you love and that you can live with and you enjoy spending time with, even if the sex falls away, that's a lot to leave on the table. That's a lot to walk away from for butt stuff. Right? Right. And I, I just think, just like listening to you talk about the man who's still your husband, it just made me really want to figure out a way to make this work, including it being, it's not that long a distance, semi-long distance, you know, or it being open or it being poly. It just, even if the sex isn't there, and and, and I know that is tricky you know, Terry and I have been mm. open relationship for a very long time. Initially, it was monogamish. I coined that term to describe us because we just had occasionally sex with other people, but we didn't have relationships. And eventually, it became relationships. And I have been there for Terry when he broke up with somebody else and was sad. And that's weird, right? <laughs> weird. <laughs> yeah. The first time yes. it happens, it's weird because there's no, there's no training for that. That you don't see that in movies right. or television. You don't see that in your own family. And it just feels like, how do we walk through this? And are we supposed to walk through this? <laughs> and how does a couple do this? But you know what? We did it. Right. And it can be done just because we haven't seen it done, just because it's not a part of what we're told, we, something we should, we're told we could expect or should expect in a marriage. And I'm glad that we did it. You yeah. Know? I saw him be yeah, really sad yeah. about somebody else 
helping him. And of course, part of me is like, am I not enough? And, and then my own words rang in my head. How many times have I told people, of course, you're not enough. No one person is enough for any other person. And I had to allow yeah. for him to be sad. And I had to allow that, you know, sometimes I'm going to be Dan Savage, sex advice columnist, not just for my readers or listeners, but also for my husband. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I had you bringing in my skull the whole time. <laughs> if you had said, you know, the relationship was high conflict, there were all these other issues, like we had conflicts no. around money. Like if there was just something else no. I could hang my, yeah, you guys should break up or get a divorce hat on, I would. But if it's just like we love each other and dating other people while staying together has been complicated, okay, well, breaking up and getting a divorce, that's complicated too. Yeah. I just don't see us again going back to how things were, to be honest now, since he moved out. I felt like, I don't know. He's, he's moved on. Um, I don't know if either of us has moved on entirely. This is the weird thing is we kind of love each other and are still there and we're doing all that kind of stuff. He's seeing someone else. Now this other guy's actually moved in now. So that kind of like knife in the stomach for me a little bit, but mm. I want him to be happy and I know that this other guy's cool and we've actually hung out now and, and I'm really happy that he's you know, he's got somebody else in that in that way. I I honestly don't think that things are gonna go back to the way they were and I'm not quite sure that they sort of should. Or they ever do. Like relationships change over time. I just kind of feel like I, I stood in the middle of the living room the other day and I just was frozen like a kid that just dropped their ice cream. I was just standing there like I don't know what to do. I don't know how to feel. You described it living in a museum of your marriage or your relationship, which because of the arrival yeah. of some other boyfriend probably feels a little bit more over than it did before. I guess I would encourage you not to make any moves right now, literal or figurative. Don't sell the house. Don't get a divorce. You have a husband. Your husband is living somewhere else. He's seeing somebody else. You should see other people. And then like in a year or two, Maybe right. what you ought to do will seem clearer than it does now. Maybe you standing there in the living room feeling stuck <laughs> wasn't a sign that you need to forcibly unstuck yourself or unstick yourself, but a sign <laughs> that you're just kind of stuck right now. And that's right. not a bad it place to be when you don't know what to do. Yeah, it fucking hurts. Yes. You just want the pain to stop, right? Yeah. Sorry, I'm crying again because it just mm. it's just the house, you know, like the everything in here is just you get, know get some new things in, in there get some new things in there or move <sighs> you can stay married and fucking move and have your own place right. now's a good time to sell a house in portland oregon yeah you've owned it for I eight years like gonna... again it's like you want an adult sometimes to tell you what to do because <laughs> you literally look like i just like financial decision you, you say you want an adult to tell you what to do and a i never think of myself as an adult and b i'm telling you not to do anything i'm telling you to like just stand there in your living room for a while and feel these feelings and i think clarity about what you should do will come like a day will come when you'll realize that you know what to do next whatever that is and i don't know what that is maybe you guys are going to get back together maybe you can all live under one roof with other partners maybe you'll have a long distance right. marriage and then like in a decade or two you know, he'll churn through some boyfriends, you'll churn through some boyfriends, and it'll be clear that you have short-term yeah. relationships with other people, but this long-term relationship with each other that's worth preserving. Uh, we we can't know right now, 
but I think right. you'll know in time. And it sucks to hear that because if you're in pain right now being told, yeah, you're going to live in this pain for longer, but then yeah. you don't want to make all the wrong moves and have the pain of that. And there's no move you have yeah. to make right now. Right. Yeah, every, every decision I come to just fills me with anxiety and I just get factual sick. You know? Okay, no, well, not good. Stay. So good, thank you. That's good advice. Stay Do put. Nothing. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And I hope you're dating other guys uh, too. I hope you're getting out there. I hope you're getting some ass. Uh, um, yeah, I am. Good. Good. With <laughs> that accent, I bet you get all the ass a, a man could possibly want on the west coast of the united states that accent will take you far it's like a magic sound that unbuckles a belt and trousers fall <laughs> in yeah it happens in fred meyer every day and <laughs> people drop their underwear good luck hey dan thanks so much and thanks for everything that you do for everyone you're amazing you oh, really gosh. are you've saved my life numerous times in the past now seriously i don't know you hear this a lot but seriously thank you so much thank, thank you. you for everything you do Hi, Dan, and the tech savvy at Refuse. I'm a 49-year-old cis straight man in the Midwest in a loving, satisfying marriage. We are monogamous and live a life I couldn't have imagined at a younger age. Here's the problem. My previous wife of many years struggled with physical pain from penis and vagina sex. This was the opposite of what either of us wanted, and I absolutely hated hurting her. And because my new wife has a disability and some health challenges that require special care, I can tell I still have shell shock that I'll hurt her too, even though the reality is that penis and vagina sex is not painful for her. In fact, she wants and misses it. We do lots of other things, and we succeeded in a strict physiological sense at penis and vagina sex when we've made a special point of it, but frankly, I still avoid it. I just seem to have those wires crossed still, and I pull back and lose all sense of ease and naturalness, fearful that any wrong move I make will injure her. So, what do I do? How do I convince my mind and body that I won't hurt her? A few other points. We both have high sex drives, and I don't really have problems getting erections, certainly not for other things. She also has a penetrative toy that she adores and says I can use on her to get more comfortable. I've heard you suggest multi-session uh, acclimating strategies to callers in the past. Perhaps I could do something like that. I don't know. You've already got all the advice you need from your wife. She has a penetration toy that she loves, that she really enjoys being penetrated with or by. I assume, despite her disability, that she's able to use this penetration toy on herself. Allow her to do so. Allow her to show you how much pleasure her body is capable of uh, experiencing during penetrative sex and allow her then to show you how to use that toy on her and give her that pleasure with that toy and then toss your dick in there. You know, the experience you had with your previous spouse carved a deep groove in you. And in a way that's a good sign 
if you had no hesitations or qualms about really, you know, going for it during PIV sex, despite having been with someone for many years, that PIV sex was extremely, you know, uncomfortable or, or caused them a lot of pain. I would wonder what was wrong with you in a way, you know, it's not helping you in the relationship you're, you're in now. And it's not a great sign that you can't make a, you know, a distinction between, you know, the wife you had and the wife you have, and that they're different people capable of experiencing pleasures in different ways. But we can fall into really deep grooves when it comes to sexual activity. And you're right there with a rock hard dick when it's oral or mutual masturbation or rolling around or whatever else. But because it caused your previous partner so much pain when you penetrated her, your dick's a little shy about PIV. The only way to get past that is to carve a deeper groove, carve a new groove, and you have the tools to do it. You have your wife's beloved penetration toy. Take the pressure off your dick. You don't have to be hard or stay hard to engage in penetrative sex and play with your current partner. You can witness with your own eyes how much she digs it, how much she loves it. If you're hard and you're using the penetration toy, you can switch to your dick. If your dick gets shy and you know you start to lose your heart on, you can go back to the toy. And then you can transition to using your dick the whole time on your new wife's hole the whole time. And it's just going to take time and it's going to take some effort and it's going to take you listening not to your friendly neighborhood sex and relationship advice columnist slash podcaster, but you listening to the partner that you have, the wife that you have, who is trying to put into your hands the toy that is the key, that is the tool that can get you out of the rut you're in or get you out of the groove that you dug with your previous partner and help you carve a new groove with her. Go get that penetration toy. Use it. First couple of times you use it, don't even take your fucking pants off. Not about your dick at all. Just about watching and witnessing and learning and creating a new association between penetrative sex, PIV sex, using a toy, and your partner's ability to experience that as pleasurable. And Once you get that into your big head, then... Hopefully, your dick will be there for PIV too. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and everyone else. I have a question that I don't think I've heard posed on the Lovecast in the years that I've been listening. And given your own personal circumstances and hoping that this may benefit others who are in my position, do you have any tips for dating when you have a public-facing career? I'm nowhere near to your level of fame, but the problem still exists that my career is public facing and my dating proclivities are thus far on the private side of life. Kink is an important element in my sex life and is something that I've chosen to keep away from my professional persona because I want to have some modicum of personal space from my job. And also coming out publicly as a kinkster would add a whole layer of PR to manage that I just don't want to have to deal with. Given the travel realities of my job, online dating is what I tend to default to. But it's difficult to figure out how to find kinky people to date if I'm already juggling being recognized on dating apps and don't want that info out there. So 
If you or any of your very special Lovecast guest stars have any suggestions, I would really love to hear it. Joining me by phone to help tackle this question, John Marco Cerezi, a comedian based in New York City, recently had a set on Comedy Central, and it is hilarious. Go find it. He managed to find something funny to say about mass shootings. Not everyone can do that. Uh, John Marco, hey, thank you so much for jumping on the phone. Thank you. Thank you for having I hope I'm helpful. I'm, I'm very uh, uh, vanilla, boring, whatever <laughs> word is appropriate now, but I'll do my best. You have uh, not me to thank for coming on my podcast, but really Ali Wong, the Ali Wong mistake I made. Uh, years ago, I met her um, in Madison, Wisconsin. We hung out. I went to see her show. She wasn't famous yet. I said, oh, you should come on my podcast. And then by the time I said, hey, you want to come on my podcast? She was super famous and said, no, I'm not doing podcasts anymore. So I saw your stuff. I think you're hilarious. And I was like, I got to get him on my show before he's super famous because I don't want to make the Ellie Wong mistake again. That, that's very kind of you. I think you, you have about 15 more years where I will be available <laughs> whenever you need me. <laughs> No, looking at watching your stuff because I like followed you on Twitter. I watched a bunch of your stuff. I'd say I have about 10 or 15 more minutes before you're famous. Oh, thank you. Uh, but right now you're still just the sexy geek who took a job with GE in that one commercial. Mm -hmm. Six commercials, actually. Paid the bills Six for a commercials. while. Oh, yeah. I, I bet. I bet. Anyway, you have a public facing career. Yes. You hope to be famous someday. You can just say yes. Yeah, it's okay to say yes. I appreciate it. Yeah. No, no, no. Oh, I was just waiting for more about how famous I am. <laughs> A full list. Um, well, in anticipation of getting famous, I'd like you to please list all of your kinks for us, the ones you don't <laughs> worry about being public once you're really famous, and the ones you really don't want anyone to know about once you're super famous. Sure. So starting with the letter A, um, <laughs> I, I, you know. A is for anal beads. I wouldn't want anyone to see like my, my X videos, X, X videos. That's the site I use. Uh, I just put an X now. I wouldn't want anyone to see that. but To see your browser history. Yeah, to see my browser history. But other than that, again, I mean, I think I'd be more embarrassed by just how much missionary is going on. What's funny, I think, about this caller and her question is that she doesn't want to associate with her public persona her sexual interests. I don't think anyone who's into vanilla really wants to be thought of as like that guy at work who really loves oral. Well, I think it must be so hard. As a comedian, listen, if I had the kinks, the moment I find whatever my kink is, I'll be talking about it on stage immediately. I've always said I, if, if I had any kink, if I had any anything involving sex, if I had any STDs, I would talk about it on stage. There's There'd be no hiding it from me. So it's, it's kind of a different uh, – it's got to be tough. I, I feel sympathy for having to hide it. You had a part in the show Bound on Netflix, which was about – BDSM and a dominatrix not real popular with the BDSM community there are a lot of problems with that show sure that didn't inspire you to go try anything while you were hanging out in a dungeon filming no I I don't I don't know I definitely I know I'm not like into to dom stuff I had an, an older man who wanted me to do some fin dom stuff and he really uh, uh walked me through what he wanted like he said i want to make a tribute and i said only only if you can spare it right now and he said no no call me names and uh, uh <sighs> it it ended cuz he wanted me to um he wanted me to uh, measure myself uh uh and in my mind i i never thought i would could just lie in my mind i always thought i'll send him the real measurements and then he'll be like uh never mind <laughs> you promised me that you wouldn't tell anybody about this time that I asked you to find on me. So I, I definitely, uh, maybe I'm a sub. Maybe I'm just, I'm just gradually easing into that. 
Um, so what would your advice for this person be if you were on the spot? If this was oh. a friend who came to you for advice about dating, well, because you're a public person, you date, uh, you mine interpersonal relationships for a lot of your comedies. There's a lot in your stuff that's really hilarious about your family, about your parents, about their, I think, two divorces for your mom, four for your dad. Yes. You're hysterical uh, about your stepfather. So you have a public-facing career. You mine your private life. How do you keep those things separate for yourself? And do you have any advice for this woman on how to do the same? Well, I think I definitely like, you know, I exaggerate on stage. So sometimes you can like, you you can hide the details. You can just say, uh, ah, you're, you're just, you're just, you know, I had a friend. I went to musical theater college and I remember there was a guy uh, who who was was straight or said he was straight. And then one summer, uh, a bunch of my gay friends found him on Grinder. And now what he said was he was just looking for friends. He was just a little bit lonely and looking for some friends. And listen, we we said, okay, okay, buddy. We we buy it. And then years, years, years later, he came out. So you could always go with the old, oh, I'm just, I'm just looking for friends. Oh, this is a kink app? Oh, I had no idea. I just thought... I, I just like making knots like for fun. Like I, I thought I just, fet life meant I'm not sure exactly. Not something other than fetish. Uh, I would want to reassure the caller. I, I have some friends who are gay and famous and they get on Grindr every once in a while. And one of them is really famous and he's never been a, had a problem with anybody taking a screenshot and trying to out him or embarrass him. But it's always a risk, and he knows it's a risk when he gets on Grinder. But it's never happened to him, and hopefully that wouldn't happen to the caller if she got on FetLife. But it's really hard to control for vindictive exes. You can't. I'm sorry, with with straight guys, it's also hard to control for vindictive rejects, people you just shut down and said you weren't interested in, lashing out. I I think you gotta like she's got to have a, a someone in each. She said she traveled a lot, so she's got to have someone in each city to kind of like you know connect her. She just needs matchmakers. I mean, this goes back. You just if the modern technology isn't quite suiting your needs, then you got to take it back to an earlier time. So you find the 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 kink uh, matchmaker in each local city, and you let them know you're coming in. And now you're kind of a uh, the online wingman matchmaker. Yeah, and you're a hot commodity. You're like, oh, you oh, if you want to get with her, you can't do it on the apps. You got you got to find it. She's only in town for a couple days. One of our strategies, uh, mine personally, is sometimes I hear things, I hear gossip, it gets back to me, somebody brings it to me, and some of it's so outrageous that the actual true things are kind of obscured. It's like, yeah, the stuff that's true is so much less enormous or or freaky than the, the lies people tell. And so the, like, we're not really worried because the, the, the bullshit obscures the truth. Yeah, I, I get I, I think like it, it's hard to know without knowing kind of what public what her job is. I mean, if we're talking political, that's a tough one. I don't know how she's Marsha Blackburn. <laughs> she's, she's, the, she's Joni Earl. She's the senator from Republican senator from Iowa. Not easy for her to get on FetLife. No, well, then, then she should just go for it and fucking own who she is and then get there eventually. I, I, I think you're going to have to. Listen, if, if you're doing it over apps, people are going to take screenshots. There's no way to get around it. That's the world we live in. I hope someday we all we all get burned by it and it becomes socially just a you're a pariah if you ever do that kind of shit. 
Not not you're a pariah if you got on FetLife. Yeah, you're a pariah yeah. if you if take you, screenshots yes. and put them out there. That's the person I've said for years the stigma should be on. Of course. And if you've endeavored to keep your private and your public life or your professional life and your sex life separate and somebody else injects your sex life into your professional life, your colleagues should see you as the person who was victimized, not as someone who did anything wrong. And hopefully we're getting there. I really feel like we've reached this point the singularity where everybody has dirty pictures or something online that if it got thrown out at work or or sent to mom would be embarrassing. So it just can't be weaponized as easily anymore. You're not some freak if you have some dirty pictures online. You're a freak if you don't have any dirty pictures online. Well, maybe we'll get there. Maybe we'll be like, ew, you've never had any nudes leak? That's disgusting. You got to- Yeah, what's wrong with you? Grow up. It's just like finding out somebody's never smoked pot. You're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You have no friends? (laughs) You didn't go to high school? I agree. I agree. So can we uh, keep speaking of dirty pictures? Can I keep you on for one more call? Please. Hi, Dan. I'm a very sexually boring, bisexual cis female living in California. I'm 37. And uh, I have a question for you. What is it about someone you're vibing with, a hetero man you're vibing with, and things get a little sexy that when they send you a dick pic, it just kind of takes you out of it. Granted, I'm not speaking for everyone. I'm sure there's people that love seeing dick. In fact, in real life, seeing a hard penis while we're in the midst of doing whatever, yes, please. I mean, not only is that validating, but that's super hot. I mean, I've been with guys in the past that didn't really have a hard dick and I had to work with it and I mean, whatever. So, for example, vibing with this guy that I met online chatting chatting everything's cool say a few things and then all of a sudden whoops after like a week he sends me his dick and i'm like well i hardly know you like i want to get to know you more like for me personally the dick is the last thing i want the first thing i want is your sexy sexy personality and your sexy face like that's a seller for me i could work wonders with that like mentally i don't need anything else give me your sexy face and give me your sexy personality but then you send me a dick pic, and I don't know. What is it? What is it about that that kind of is a turnoff when a guy that you're vibing with online and he just sends you his dick? Is that just something to me? Is that like a cis woman thing? I don't know. I feel like a fucking prude, especially on this show, you know? Well, uh, listen, I've, I want to be upfront. I mean, we, we just talked about it. Are you lame for never smoking pot? I've never sent a dick pic. I've never taken a dick pic. I've never sent a dick pic. I have no confidence in in uh, just just the penis. So I get it. I understand where she's coming from. I think it's a lot of pressure. I don't know what to say when I get a nude. I I I, I get it. It's a, when you remove it from the body, it's just a part. It's just like out of a biology book. So I I so I guess I, I shouldn't be hurt that you and I have been swapping text messages all week <laughs> about doing this interview and you haven't sent me a dick pic yet. It's not because I did anything wrong. You just don't send dick pics. All the ones you sent me, I just did the thumbs up. Like, great. <laughs> Thanks a lot, buddy. Maybe that's why Ali Wong didn't want to come on my show because I sent her the dick pics to like try and get it scheduled. <laughs> no, actually, I think Ali Wong would enjoy the dick pics. Um, Taylor Tomlinson did a bit about getting dick pics and women getting dick pics in her new Netflix special. But she's an ex- Look special, so she's not going to come on my podcast. So I have to ask you, and I wanted to ask you, like, how long do you wait to send a dick pic? And it sounds like forever. It's shocking to me when, when, a, when a woman like when I started learning how many dick pics 
where I've received dick pics on, on the train. People airdrop them to me now and again. And, uh, uh, but no, I, I, I relate. I, there's something about the, the genitalia. You need to, if you're going to send dick pic, at least it's, you got to be in the frame. I need you. You got to be part of the dick. I can Google dicks. That's easy. Yeah. There's no excitement yeah. in just the dick. It's, it's, it's the person's dick. I think the dick has to be in context. This is why, you know, I should probably recuse myself from even commenting on this question because gay guys swap dick pics. Oh my God. I've had some friends, some gay friends and they show the pictures on that. They exchange and I (laughs) fucking other people. That's wild to me. In gay life. It is the traditional gift marking the first nano anniversary of the sup message. You spent sent a split second ago is the arrival of the, follow-up dick pic and i don't like dick pics either but i've always had this problem with like gay guys who go to glory holes and like bathhouses where people stick their dicks through holes in the walls like i want to see what the dick is attached to that really matters to Mm me i don't want to accidentally suck sean hannity's dick or my uncle's in some bathhouse so like seeing what the dick is attached to (laughs) uh, so i'm I'm seconding what you said like you got to see the whole person and see what the dick is attached to but it doesn't sound like this woman Kind of like Taylor Tomlinson says in her specials, like dick isn't something women enjoy looking at very much. And I think it's one of the ways we talk about like how gay men and straight women get along so famously. This is somewhere where gay men and straight women part company because gay guys certainly do like, I'm an outlier, gay guys do like dick pics and do like looking at dicks. Yeah, listen, to, to each, th- I just think all, at least I get the impression that straight men seem to assume that all women want this dick pic thing. Not all straight men, obviously. But but like I think that's the problem. There's just like a boldness of like, look at it. And you really got to make sure it's it's wanted. I think I think my girlfriend would be would be uh, tickled if I sent her a dick pic. But I just. Well, why don't you do it now? I can talk you through it. (laughs) Okay. well, first, you got to get me going. Uh, (laughs) We got to get all the way there. Uh, Which isn't going to be easy. I don't know. Because I'm not your erotic target. I don't even know what what angle I would choose, whether it be bird's eye or or up it'd be a lot i'd have to the lighting i mean i barely got the lighting right for this let alone a dick pic <laughs> so i i sympathize I, I i think she if she's not into it you, you can make it pretty clear i think i've made it clear with some partners of mine that like sexting is just not my jam and uh at all you're such a good looking guy tell me like you're the sexy geek from the ge commercial sex has got to be your jam <laughs> Well, that that's very kind, but but yeah, that's the looks, but the texting and the words and the, I I sometimes think I was this is I I think I was burned when I was like twelve or thirteen. I was on like AIM chat rooms and like sexting with people, and like one time like someone came on and said, "You're sexting with my sister. I'm gonna fucking kill you," and I like closed my laptop and I'm like thirteen years old and I was like, oh I God. will never. I think something about that if I'm going to diagnose myself, made me go like, no, no more putting things in, in writing. This is weird. I feel dirty. I feel like I'm in trouble. And maybe that's it. But uh, uh, that, that makes sense. I never learned how to drive and I don't like being in cars. I was run over by a car in front of my mom when I was five. I really think those early formative experiences can play out over the course of your entire life. Yes, I agree. So I, I think I think I don't think guys feel I don't think that many straight guys feel a need to send a dick pic. They think it's just going to turn her on. She's just going to start slipping and sliding the moment she or, gets it. 
Well, I don't know if I agree with that because straight men have heard if they're paying any attention at all, which I guess is a big assumption, all these complaints about unsolicited dick pics, unsolicited dick pics being a turnoff. I think a lot of the guys who send the dick pics know they're going to be a turnoff for most women, but those guys who send unsolicited dick pics are looking for that tiny percentage of women for whom that is going to be a turn on. And they don't care who they offend and get out of and get blocked by on the way to finding that one. That's a, that's a dangerous game of fishing in 2022 (laughs) to go fishing with, with that worm is, is, I mean, I don't know that guy who sent it to me on the subway. Like, first of all, you don't always believe it. Like that again, that's another reason you need the face in there because people will lie about their dicks. I, you'll, you'll go Google search and it'll be the second image up. If you search that's right. big fat dick, <laughs> uh, which, which I've never done, but you're telling me you have, and <laughs> you're the straight guy on this. Always call. go to page two to get that picture. <laughs> a, a lot of it, I think, is motivated by dickful thinking. Mm. Like, there are guys who are being shitty and looking for that one woman and don't care how many women they scare off or hurt throwing their dicks around the internet. But there's also the guy who just, like, is thinking with his dick that he just took a picture of and is assumes that this will be received positively, that the person, the woman on the other end of that dick pic is going to be happy about getting that dick pic. And there's actual studies, there's actual research that shows the overwhelming majority of women, yeah, no, they don't want your dick pics. You know who wants your dick pics? Gay men want your dick pics. Sure. That gay guys are like, awesome. And women are like... And I encourage those women to share it with all their gay friends. They can go say, hey, obviously ask first, of course, never share a dick pic, but... Yeah, I don't know. I don't think you should pass somebody new, somebody's nudes around without their consent. But if somebody sent you their dick pic without your consent, yes, well, that's maybe my that's released. My that's my thinking. What are the rules around that? If you get a non-consensual dick pic, I do think you have permission to send it away. Yes or no? Well, what's what's the what's the standings on this right I now? I mean, two wrong. I'm, I can hear the calls I'm going to get about us even tossing this football around. Two wrongs don't make a right. It was wrong for him to send it. It's wrong for her to forward it to her gay friends who will actually appreciate it and want to see it. <laughs> so she shouldn't do it. But the tone in my voice is making me, it clear that I think maybe she should just go and fucking how to do it. <laughs> but I'm the gay guy who's going to be on the receiving end of that. Hopefully. Sure, sure. You're the, the beneficiary. I think it's a lot of pressure. What do you when you get a good dick pic? Do you what do you do? Do you heart it? Do you say wowza? Do you send a, a sound and go, woo, my mama mia? What is it? I get, uh, I mean, I said earlier, I don't like really enjoy dick pics out of context. I like to know who they're attached to, but every once in a while, somebody that I'm like, I know, or I've chatted with, usually on Instagram, will send me a dick pic. And I'm like, ah, thank you for thinking of me. Ah, <laughs> oh, wow. That's, that I, That's usually my response. AW comma, thank you for thinking of me. Well, if she does, if she wants no more dick pics, I think send AWWW and that'll be the last dick pic you get. Send a nice aww. aww. Isn't that a cute little dick? John Marco Ceresi, follow him on Twitter at John Marco Ceresi, which is G I A N M A R C O S O R E S I. Also on Instagram at John Marco Ceresi. Hey, thank you so much for coming on my dumb podcast. When you're super famous in like 10 minutes, please come back. I, I will. You have my word. Hello, Dan and everyone. So, my question is about my um, partner. He is very insecure about his dick about the size of his dick it's definitely like on the small to average size 
And he often says, like, I'm worried that you want me to be bigger. I'm worried that, like, if we do a threesome someday with a gentleman that you'll want um, him to be bigger or he'll be bigger and that it'll please you more. And I tell him, like, that he satisfies me and that I love his dick and that it's not small. And, like, he does make me come from penetration, which is honestly rare. That's not something that always happens, but he's great and bad. And I tell him that all the time. And I tell him that he doesn't have a small dick, but I don't tell him that he has a big dick because I hate to lie. It makes me incredibly uncomfortable to lie. <laughs> and I don't want to lie and tell him that he has a big dick. But like, should I be telling him that? You know, would that, I mean, that'd probably make him feel better, but like, would he know that I was lying? Would he appreciate it anyway if I was lying? I don't know. So listening to your call, I couldn't help but think of that exchange, that line in Our Town by Thornton Wilder. And yes, I was a theater kid. And yes, I was in Our Town in high school. Emily asks her mom, am I pretty enough to get anybody? And Mrs. Webb says, you're pretty enough for all practical purposes. I almost feel like you should turn to your boyfriend when he's getting on you about his dick and tell him it's big enough for all practical purposes that may inflame his insecurities. He's got a nice dick. You know, this idea that a dick is only a good dick or a great dick if it's a giant dick or a big dick. I'm here from the land of dicks to tell you that a dick can be too big. I had a boyfriend once whose dick was not fit for any practical or normal purpose. You couldn't actually get it into an oral or anal cavity. And he regarded his great big giant dick as a curse. I've had boyfriends with perfectly average dicks that were perfectly wonderful, that were great, that felt great, that you could get all the way into your mouth or down your throat or up your butt. And if they felt amazing and they hit you or me in all the right spots. And I think rather than lie to your boyfriend, who's going to know you're lying to him and maybe he's one of those people who appreciate the effort of the lie, even though they know it's a lie. But if you're going to lie to your boyfriend about the size of his dick, yeah, your boyfriend's watched porn. And of course, the dicks in porn are going to be above average dicks. Porn stars, above average looks generally, above average dicks generally. If you want, you know, an impression of average dicks watch a lot of amateur porn but even amateur porn people are self-selecting for genitals they want to show off and so your boyfriend if you tell him it's a giant dick and a big dick is probably going to if he's not the type again who appreciates being lied to for the effort you went to to tell him the lie is probably going to resent you because he's going to know you're lying so don't go with big go with great because a dick can be great and a dick can be hot, and a dick can be good, and a dicking can be good, regardless, in most cases, of the size of a dick. A dick can be too big for a good dicking. A dick can perhaps be too small, in many people's opinions, for a good dicking. But his average dick, perfect for the dicking that you need. I would encourage you, however, perhaps not to have a threesome with a gentleman Unless and until your boyfriend is either over his dick or has eroticized, fully eroticized. Because a lot of times our kinks and our turn-ons and our fantasies and our fetishes are eroticized insecurities. And maybe your boyfriend will one day get to a place where he wants to see you with somebody with a bigger dick and he's not going to have a meltdown 
or be furious about that because it'll turn him on for you to have a bigger dick and for him to be, you know, if he goes and finds the guy or you find the guy together, or if this is only happening with his consent for him to, in a way, be giving you that bigger dick, even if it's not his big dick that he's giving you. But right now at this stage of his life before, or if he can ever eroticize his insecurities about the size of his penis for you to jump in and have a three way with somebody who might have a bigger dick that could have, disastrous consequences. Do not go there with your boyfriend. You could, of course, if you wanted to have that three-way with a gentleman, you could advertise for somebody with a smaller dick. You want a below average endowment. You can put that out there. You can ask the internet, the great sex sorting machine, to deliver to you a threesome partner that wouldn't inflame your boyfriend's insecurities. But yeah, careful. Unless and until, again, these insecurities are fully eroticized, which doesn't happen in all cases. Not everyone is lucky enough to make boner aid out of those lemons. Hey there, Dan, 31-year-old straight female calling with a bit of a situation on my hands. I've been with my boyfriend for almost three years and things were pretty smooth sailing. We There's a lot of love. I feel pretty taken care of up until recently. He asked to open the relationship. It was pretty out of left field and inappropriate for a lot of ways. I was out of the state. He asked over the phone. It was like, it was an icky situation and I shot it down and he kind of backpedaled quickly after and realized why it was pretty unacceptable of him to think it was okay. Anyway, so fast forward, I'm back home and and ready to like open this can of worms with him and figure out where we stand. And he's already pivoted hard to like self-flagellating and feeling really like surprised by himself for, for even going there and disgusted with himself and really like beating himself up about it, but in a way that like, is definitely indicative of like a greater mental health issue. And, you know, I love this man a lot and and he struggled with mental health for a while and he's been trying to get help, but I think the pandemic has made it a little bit harder to see a therapist. So now I'm trying to decide what to do. You know, like he's saying things like he's never been happy before and he doesn't even know what he wants. He doesn't even know who he is. And I think this is all just sparked by the open relationship conversation, not really like because he wants to fuck that girl. But um, I'm just kind of calling to see what your take is on the situation and like what obligation do you have to somebody that you love? How far should you go to try and help them through a mental health crisis? How much should you sacrifice your own happiness? I, I, I don't know. How, how long can I mother a man? If I were dating someone who told me that they were not happy and never had been happy, that they didn't know who they were and didn't know what they wanted, I would tell that person to go figure that shit out. That, that was important stuff to work through. And they needed to work through that on their own, single unencumbered, working with a therapist, not answering to, in my case, a boyfriend, or in your case, a girlfriend. The most loving thing I think you could possibly do for this man at this moment is not to abandon him, 
but is to leave him, end the relationship, free him to go do this important work without having to sift through it or weigh it or measure it or couch it in such a way that he's trying to figure this all out while also trying to make sure it works for you too because he doesn't want to lose you. He's already lost you. If all you feel when you look at him is this sense of obligation and duty, that you mother him, that you're trapped in this relationship because he's in a crisis and he's unhappy, and therefore, what, you're never allowed to exit this relationship so long as he's in crisis, so long as he's unhappy, you have to stay? No, 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 no. You can love someone and leave them. You can love someone in a relationship, you can love someone out of the relationship that you're in right now. You can offer him support, you can call him the cavalry, other friends, other family members, letting them know that now would be a good time for him to hear from them if they haven't been in contact recently. You can offer him resources, referrals, you can help him find the therapist that he needs. And if he doesn't manipulate or abuse you or take advantage of your willingness to continue to engage with him after the relationship is officially over, you can be his sounding board. You can be someone that he can reach out to also while he figures this shit out as a single person. Hi, Dan. I'm a 28-year-old woman living in the Northeast, and I've been on and off with this guy for about five years. The, the reason why things didn't work out with this guy is because he's never been okay with my sex work and it's made it really difficult for me to make ends meet without it. So this last break, we've been broken up for about five months and I resumed my sex work and he knows about it and he's been freaking out about it and had a problem with me seeing clients and other guys up until five days ago when he told me that he wants uh, an open relationship with me and work things out. Also, he told me that he's been having sex with this other woman this whole entire time that we've been apart and that he'd like to continue to do that. Um, he says that she's the only reason that would make him feel better about my sex work, which makes no sense to me because he was freaking out about it before while he was fucking her. Regardless, I said it was okay. And I told him that my only condition was for him to message her and be straight up with her and tell her that he's going to try to pursue an open relationship with me and that it's still cool if he sees her, but I just wanted him to be honest. He sent her the message and she decided to cancel the plans and not see him again. Now he's really mad at me and I feel extremely guilty for doing this. Was this the right thing to do, Dan? Am I the asshole here for asking him to be honest with her? You're not the asshole for asking your ex-boyfriend, I hope he's your ex-boyfriend, I hope he stays your ex-boyfriend, to be honest with the other woman that he was seeing about your existence and I assume the primacy, you were going to be the primary partner uh, that he was offering you or that was uh, on the table, you weren't going to be his dirty little sex worker piece on the side half-girlfriend in the closet, were you? She was going to have to be told at some point. And so, yeah, you didn't do anything wrong. If I may, though, I think where you went wrong was getting back together with somebody who obviously isn't cut out to be the romantic partner of a sex worker. He was raking you over the coals about it emotionally. And then when he decided to get back together with you, he tried to use the fact that you are a sex worker as leverage 
to get you to agree to a particular kind of relationship, you know, an open relationship or him having another girlfriend that you might not have been up for. You know, sex work isn't polyamory. You don't have, you know, I know a lot of sex workers who have long-term clients. They have, those are relationships of sorts, but they're not concurrent, committed, romantic relationships. If that's what he wanted, you know, a polyamorous relationship with you, then that's what he could ask for. And that wouldn't mean you could then have clients in addition to him. That means you could have boyfriends or a boyfriend in addition to him. But that's not what was being discussed here. He was trying to use the fact that you were a sex worker to get you to settle for something, I guess, that you might not have settled for otherwise. And this is a guy who'd already wasted your time being a jerk to you about the work that you were doing in the past. So yeah, fuck this guy. Don't date this guy. Don't call this guy back. Delete this guy's number. Block this guy. And if it helps him get past it to be a little angry at you about the fact that you required him to be honest in a way he should have wanted to be honest in the first place himself with the other person that he was seeing, if that led to the end of that relationship, all right, then I guess you can take the fall in his head, in his imagination. You can't tell him he's not allowed to regard you as the bad guy in this situation. You can't change how he feels or how he decides to understand that. But yeah, no, you didn't do anything wrong. You are not the asshole, but don't continue to be a fool. Don't waste any more time or thought on this guy. Hi, Dan. I'm an early 30s non-binary pansexual living in the rural South. I was assigned male at birth and primarily present as a straight cis male, mainly due to where I live, and I also haven't been out for too long. I came out to my wife last summer and she was taken completely for surprise and struggled with it and continues to do so. I get it. We were both raised in very conservative backgrounds and my identity is at odds with the beliefs in these backgrounds. Where we both have shifted over the years in our beliefs, I am definitely more progressive, consider myself leftist, and even a little agnostic at times. And to provide further context, I would describe our marriage as rocky at best. We have been together for nine years and married for five of those. And where we have had some very good times together, I have gone through several spells where I have felt unloved, lonely, unsupported, and sometimes even emotionally manipulated. These feelings have been magnified through me coming out and her telling me things like she is scared about how I might start to because she is not attracted to women or people who present more feminine. My wife is not a terrible person, but I just feel like we have a lot of differences that she doesn't seem to want to or is incapable of growing through. Recently, we had a conversation about this and I said that I was considering leaving. Again, she was shocked by this and told me that she couldn't imagine life without me and how she still really loves me. I really struggled with this because she does not usually show this. And honestly, like when she said things, says things like that, it feels like emotional manipulation. 
We have had similar conversations over the years, and this sort of feels like the same, even though she has shown some changes. I do think that separating would be good for us, but when I do think of leaving, I feel extremely sad about it and hate that it's come to this. I guess I would just like to hear her thoughts. I do. Do you think that this relationship can be salvaged? Am I crazy for not being ready to give up on this while also being tired of being lonely? Any sort of insight would help, even if it's the tough love kick in the ass that I need. So when your wife tells you that she loves you, can't imagine her life without you, you don't believe her. You also often in this marriage, this relationship of nine years, marriage five, feel unloved, lonely, unsupported, manipulated. Indeed, you think your wife is manipulating you now by telling you that she loves you, which sounds like she doesn't tell you often or make you feel often. And you raising the possibility of ending the marriage prompted her to say, and you just don't believe her. Yeah, I think you should end the marriage. And, you know, if you're a non-binary pansexual assigned male at birth person, you should get the fuck out of the rural South. And maybe that's just me being a big city, Northern urbanite, but, and you know, my prejudice is showing, I've heard from lots of queer people over the years who live in the South, live in the rural South, really like it, have found their communities, have even found support from you know, straight people often even religious people in those communities that surprised them and would certainly surprise me, but I would get the fuck out of there if I were you. And yeah, if you need my permission to to end this marriage, uh, to do what it sounds like you've already decided you need to do, well, then you have it. You should end this marriage. And while it would be wonderful if your wife could grow with you uh, as you come out, Maybe she's just not attracted to women or femme presenting people. And that's not something that she's necessarily going to be able to grow through and not something that is broken about her. She should have to heal from or grow through. That may be just legitimately the kind of person, you know, she finds attractive as a masculine person, as a man and a masculine presenting person. And that's not something that she's going to be able to to do anything about. And if you feel constrained by the limits of her desires uh, around your presentation, around being out about being yourself, well, then that's another indication you need to get the fuck out of this marriage and maybe also the fuck out of that small town and the fuck out of that region of the country. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, let's read some listener tweets. Emmy Sue tweets, I am a loyal Savage Lovecast Magnum sub, but I was disgusted by this week's opening rant. Damn, why, oh, why did you have to name my state senator octogenarian Chuck Grassley as an example of who's attending those congressional GOP drug-fueled orgies? Barf emoji, hashtag vote blue in 2022. Forgive me, Emmy Sue. Thank you for being a Magnum sub. Gotta stick up for the octogenarians. In my audience, though, the octogenarian thing is the least offensive part of Chuck Grassley. Anon Leather tweets, speaking of the cost of male sex toys, I recently mentioned a $5,000 male milker on the show. In the mid-90s, Anon Leather goes on, I opened up a vintage AccuJack from when they were $400 and $1980. It was a windshield wiper motor, some rough cut lumber, and a few other parts and a tackle box. Yeah, and people stuck their dicks in those 
amazingly ever got their dicks back out. Oh, and if you don't mind me mentioning my own dick, if you do, you want to use that little skip ahead button on your phone. I got to try out one of those $5,000 milkers myself recently. Thank you, Brian. And yeah, that is one expensive blowjob. And finally, Flawed Artist tweets, absolutely love this week's Savage Lovecast, the fakes episode. But I must tell you, Dan Savage and Nancy Hartunian, there already is a clit bit. Check out at Lioness Health at lioness.oi. Vagina havers can track and improve their orgasms with this smart vibrator. Hashtag Savage Lovecast. Hashtag track your orgasms. I went and checked it out. Linus, a smart vibrator that syncs up with an app on your phone, collects data about your orgasms so you can learn more about them and track them. I haven't tried it myself. I am not a vagina haver, but Linus describes their toy as a Fitbit for your sexual pleasure and health. So one already existed, one was already out there, and I would be interested in hearing from women who've tried it. All right. If you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to use the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And a big thank you to everyone who tweeted or posted to Facebook or TikTok or anywhere else about the show this week. We really appreciate the way you all helped spread the word about the Lovecast. And now listener response calls. A comment on the caller who was having an affair with a married man and wanted to know if she should send a letter. I propose a drinking game for the number of times she said we found ourselves uh, removing all agency from a multiple year relationship is a red flag. If you feel that you have been fated to stand by your man and that this relationship is fated by the stars and that you have absolutely no agency and that an anonymous letter is the solution. Uh, I suggest you look at all the choices you have made over the span of this relationship. And the last decision you should make is to leave it. Hi, Dan. This is for the woman from episode 806 who was dating the married man for six years. Boy, doesn't he have a great life. He's got the faithful little wife at home who takes care of the kids, and then he gets the hot sex on the side. Oh, honey, you're a fool. You need to dump this motherfucker already. Hi, this is a comment for the woman who called in about her concerns about getting a mullet and appropriating queer culture. And I just want to reassure this woman and any straight person that queers do dictate fashion. And that is very true, very stylish. Uh, and by the time it gets down to you guys, we're already over it. It's already three years down the drain and baby guys can have it at that point. I just a half a mullet and then I shaved it off on New Year's going into 2021 and lo and behold, a month later, Ted Cruz's dumbass is walking around with a mullet of his own. You know what I mean? And if you want to have Ted Cruz's haircut, be my guest. It is up for grabs. And we're going to leave it where? There. There is where we're going to leave it. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Use the Voice Memo app on your phone to record your question or your comment and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. You can also call us at 206-302-2064. Toronto and Miami, come get humped. My Dirty Little Porn Film Festival will be screening in your cities this weekend. Also streaming online for everyone everywhere else. Go to humpfilmfest.com for tickets and times and links. 
International Denim Day, National Administrative Professionals Day, used to be known as Secretary's Day, and Koningsdad are all coming right up April 27th. A fuck first mug available in our merch store at savage.love makes a great gift for the denim fetishist, the executive secretary, or the king of the Netherlands on your list. Follow me at fake Dan Savage. Follow John Marco Ceresi at John Marco Ceresi. John Marco is spelled G I A N M A R C O Ceresi S O R E S I. Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.